0: It's great to be with you this morning. Um, for those of you who remember a, uh, a little bit of history, I think I spoke at um, Busselton Baptist. Were you back in Kent Street before you came here? Some of you are very old. <laughs> so we're looking at the, the passage today from Mark chapter 6. But I want to start asking by asking the question... Have you ever been set up? Has anybody ever set you up? I want to uh, tell you a bit of a story with a friend of mine um, who was with me at uni. I've got a picture of him here. And um, maybe I have to explain a little bit to the younger generation. In those days, you used to communicate by using a thing called a letter you get a piece of paper and you would make marks on it and then you put it in another piece of paper by after sticking another third piece of paper on that and the government would see to it that it, after several days or a week or more got to the person you wanted to communicate with and then the process would be reciprocated all very strange I know anyway we were at uni together and my mate, um, I think I've got a picture of him there, there he is, is um, hiding his face. That's the only picture I could find of him. And if you're very observant, yes, he is sitting on a crutch. Um, he uh, was a bike rider, motorbike rider. Enough said for those of you who are motorbike riders, you can all account the number of injuries you've given yourselves. So he had a family friend going to England. And so what he did is he wrote a letter to me saying that he had gone to England on a whim and was enjoying going around England. And then he got his family friend when he got to England to stamp it and post it back to me. And so I get this letter, it's from my mate, saying he's in England. And so I'm telling everybody he's in England. And I'm in the prayer meeting praying for him that he's in England. Well, the blighter is uh, just next door. He hasn't gone anywhere. And he had totally set me up to uh, believe he was in England when he hadn't left the country. We often think of setting people up for fun or maybe for ill intent. There's uh, enough of that going around and the scams these days. But we actually also do it with a positive mindset, with a good outcome in, in our hearts. As parents and teachers, if you are, you do it all the time. You say to the child, oh, you think you can do X, Y, Z better than that, do you? All right, go ahead. And you just sit back and wait for them to have a go and know in that moment you're going to be able to teach them something new. In lots of small and sometimes significant ways, we let others get into a situation that we could have prevented with the mind that we are going to let them learn. Perhaps we're going to let them learn a new skill, um, learn a new perspective on life, maybe grow some character. Humility comes to mind. Um, You wouldn't have done that, would you? Uh, set somebody up so they could learn to be a little bit more humble Um, we do it so that people can grow and change their understanding now as we look at the two narratives in today's passage if we look at it from Jesus perspective I think we can see that he is actually setting up the disciples to do some learning to change their thinking to grow in their understanding I'm not going to spend a lot of time on who did what and why and so on I want to focus in on what was Jesus doing in this situation what was he wanting the disciples to learn how was he setting them up so let's go back in the context the disciples and Jesus had been out on he had sent them out on ministry And they'd had a really busy, overwhelmingly good time, but they were exhausted. And so they were trying to get away to get some rest and recreation. But the crowd follows them. We read in Mark chapter 6, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, should be up on the screen there I think, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of them so they thought hey let's get away let's have a quiet break let's do something by ourselves now have you ever been to the beach you think oh let's just get away down the coast somewhere you pull up to the beach and what's everybody else in bustleton thought let's go to the beach oh, we can't stay here, let's go somewhere else. And you go off to that other secret spot that nobody else knows about. Jesus and the disciples turn up there and there's just, the people are there ahead of them. Now, rather than just nip around the corner, we didn't see them, um, Jesus stops. We're told he has compassion. He recognises their need and he draws the people in to give them what they need most and in this case it's teaching he starts to explain to them more about God so think the parables you've read so often through the scriptures think sermon on the mount it wasn't teaching that was rules and regulations you got to do this you got to believe this and that it was teaching it was drawing the people in to their relationship with God to reflect on who he was to allow God's truth to challenge their lives, their perceptions, their understandings. We read this in Matthew, in Mark chapter 6, 34, it tells us, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, the disciples are there And basically they start to um, act as crowd control. I don't know if they had high-vis fluoro vests, you know, um, to go around and tell everybody. But if you've got thousands of people, someone has to control them. Someone has to tell them where to go. Someone has to create the space for Jesus to be able to teach effectively. And that's essentially what the disciples are doing. And the day wears on. And the disciples are practical type people. And they come to Jesus at the end of the day and say, well, yeah, look, it's been a good day, but this mob have to get fed and go home. What are we going to do about it? In verse 35, late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. That was the idea of why they were there. Um, And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, as they are suggesting this eminently practical solution to Jesus, it's where Jesus sets them up. Because he sees here an opportunity to for the disciples to change their perception, to enrich their thinking, Now remember they've just come back from a really successful ministry tour where they went out and did all these amazing things in Jesus name but it seems that that experience hasn't really trickled down into changing their thinking that much about Jesus, their understanding of themselves or of how they perceive the world. So Jesus gives them this challenge. He says to them, but Jesus said, verse 37, you feed them. <sighs> now, that's really awkward. And so the disciples give him the very polite, don't be ridiculous um, response. He says, they say, well, what with? We, have, we would have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Now, Jesus keeps obviously pushing them, and so they they go to find a bit of food, see what they can find. Now, I have to admit, ladies, this is probably a bit of a bloke look. There are 15,000 people, and all they can find are five five little barley loaves and a couple of fish. Um, um 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 oh here, kid. Hey, this is all the bread and fish we've found. That'll do, no, that'll keep Jesus satisfied. And Jesus takes that. And he performs this amazing miracle of feeding fifteen 000 to twenty thousand people with just that small amount that the disciples were able to get their hands on. So how were the disciples affected? actually witnessing that imagine you were there here's a kid's lunch and Jesus feeds 20,000 people with it does that mess with your head well we'll find out in a bit how much it changed to the disciples then the meal's over they collect up the leftovers and then Jesus does it again He sets the disciples up once more because he creates a scenario in which something is going to happen. We're told in verse 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hill by himself to pray. Now Jesus could have gone with them, he could have got in the boat, okay mate, let's go, let's go back home to Bethsaida or he uh, could have organised for them to come back, come back with, pick me up in the morning after I've had a, a night uh, quietly by myself but none of that's mentioned. Maybe this was not an unusual occurrence, we just don't know. But it's clear that Jesus was up to something because the boat was going, the disciples were leaving, Jesus is in a distant place by himself. What was was he going to do? Was he aware of the coming high winds that were going to cause problems to the disciples? We don't know. His obvious intention was that after he had spent time quietly by himself, he was going to walk across the lake um, and meet them on the other side. Now would that raise a few questions? Now if someone turns up at your place and you know they don't have a car, bike, scooter and uh, they can't have walked that far, uh, how did you get here? So Jesus was intending to challenge the disciples thinking yet again. Verse 47 we pick up the, the story. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Now perhaps Jesus was just getting close enough to check on how they're going. Yeah, they're all right. They'll make it, uh, and then go on his way. But the disciples see him, and uh, they get a serious moment of the heebie-jeebies. This, this is weird. This is seriously should not be happening stuff. And we read in verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him but jesus spoke to them at once don't be afraid he said take courage i am here then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed this is one really freaky event now we get used to it you've been hearing this story since you were in creche you've been maybe you stopped coloring in the pictures but from if you've been in church for any length of time, you colored in a picture of Jesus walking on water. And we're we just got used to the story. But this would have been a seriously disturbing occurrence. Put yourself in their place. Now, in Mark's account, he admits the details about Peter attempting to walk on water. That's given to us by Um, Matthew and he tells us about that yet despite all that they were experiencing we're told that the disciples were missing what Jesus most wanted them to understand and to accept at the end of the narrative verse 52 we're told for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of loaves Their their hearts were too hard to take it in. They were experiencing this stuff. They were seeing it. They were in it. And yet, it wasn't getting past the experience. It wasn't penetrating into their thinking, into their perceptions, into their understanding. So, what was Jesus wanting What was he desiring that disciples would get out of all that he was doing in these situations? Now the commentary we read in verse 52, or just read, about their lack of understanding and hard hearts has to come from one of the disciples. That's an editorial comment that Mark's kept for us and it was generally considered that it was Peter who was the one who spoke to Mark and gave him the details of what was going on now Matthew's account has a a much more positive outcome as he talks about how the disciples responded Matthew tells us in verse 33 um, of chapter 14 then the disciples worshipped him Jesus you really are the son of God they exclaimed so maybe there was some response but if that was the case the effect was very short-lived because not long after in Mark after Mark says they didn't understand and their hearts were hard um, there's a lot more teaching there's more miracles more explanations from Jesus about what he's doing and who he is and then in Mark chapter 8 we have this conversation between Jesus and the disciples He talks about the the yeast of the Pharisees. Um, At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. They totally missed the point of what Jesus was saying, by the way. Um, Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Oh, 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? he asked them Jesus was wanting the disciples to have a complete change of understanding a totally different perspective on reality because of who he was now he didn't want them just to see him as a miracle worker someone who could do these amazing conjuring tricks He didn't even want them just to see him as Messiah. However, they particularly understood that um, Jewish expectation. He wanted them to understand he was God himself, right there in human form. And if they understood that, that would change their perspective, not just about Jesus, but about life itself, about the reality in which they live. And about themselves Jesus was wanting the miracles to draw them into the deep truth and the right relationship with God that was possible through him but it wasn't happening seeing even experiencing a miracle doesn't mean that a person sees through that experience to the deeper truths that lie behind it. In John's account of these events of the feeding of the 5,000, it's just one of the very few miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. John records this for us in verse 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, they slipped away into the hills by himself. All the people who were experiencing this amazing miracle of feeding the 5,000, what did they see? Free food. You beauty. Let's make him king. Vote one for Jesus. No more going to the shops. We'll just follow Jesus around. He'll, no, mac is on tap every day. They didn't see it. The miracle got in the way. So what was getting in the way for the general population and even for the disciples? What was stopping them from recognising the truth and the changed reality that was staring them right in the face? I think it was our very human reaction to miracles. The, The purpose of the miracles beyond simply a expression of God's compassion and love for people in their need is to point to the truth of who Jesus is of what he was saying the miracles are there to demonstrate clearly and openly that God is present and active right here right now John records Jesus talking to the crowd sometime later he said don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work but if I do his work believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done even if you don't believe me then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father the miracles were to attract Jesus sorry were to attract people's attention and then be evidence to point them to the truth of who Jesus was. Yet for so many, maybe even the majority of those who saw and even experienced Jesus' miracles in their own lives, this didn't happen. And even the disciples after the resurrection were still getting rebuked by Jesus for their hard hearts. So what was happening or what wasn't happening? I think it's our totally self-absorbed human nature. It gets in the way of God's truth. Whenever we experience good in some form, something really nice happens. What do we want? More. We never stop and think about what we experienced and why yes we are physical creatures and our physical nature dominates our reality god knows that he made us that's how he's created us to be and yet we are also made in god's image so there is so much more um, for in our lives than just our physical nature we have to get past living just for our physical needs if we are to come to any level of spiritual maturity Um, to come to any depth of relationship with God. And the disciples were struggling with this big time. The miracles attracted their attention, but then became a distraction. When they couldn't or wouldn't see past them to the greater truths that those miracles were all about, they got stopped by the evidence that Jesus was putting in front of them and they didn't ask the questions, what does that mean? How does that change me? The miracles were an attraction but then they became a distraction. Now our inclination is to sort of shake our heads and think, oh, you you idiots. No, if I was there, if I was in that situation Do we really think we would have been any different? Would we have suddenly had this amazing understanding? I can answer for myself and I'd say no. I think I would have got hung up on all the the amazing stuff. I would have got distracted by, wow, how did he do that? Um, And not ask the question, not let it come close. Because that is really, really challenging. How hard is it to break us out of our cultural patterns? Now, if you've been to another culture, how difficult is it to have your assumptions and habits challenged? It's really hard. And that's what the miracles were doing. The disciples had established patterns of understanding, established patterns of personal religious practice and the miracles were hammering those too hard to go there let's just look at the miracle and be amazed and not go past we live in such a consumer driven culture and we are absolutely focused on ourselves our experience our good as we perceive it all the time every time you see an ad what's it doing it's telling you to think about yourself unless it's a lotto ad and of course you're really thinking about other people yeah like and as soon as we have some what do we want more enough is never enough enough is just the bare minimum and then we go up from there ask any little boy who wants a biscuit We obsess constantly over every aspect of our physical lives. And yet there is so much of life, even when we obsess, that we cannot control. So much happens that we don't want. So much that causes us pain and heartache, be it physical or relational or mental. And God is so gracious time and time again he meets us in those needs he just doesn't just hang us out to dry in our physical um, relationships in in our relationship needs in our mental needs time and time again he intervenes in our lives as an act of compassion maybe in response to prayer he does for us what we can't do for ourselves as followers of Jesus, we actually experience God's miracles, small and large. And that happens all through our lives. Some of us can recall more of life than others. The question for us is, how are we responding to what God is doing for us, in us, in our, and in our circumstances? Are we like the crowd, just wanting more and more of God's intervention, getting us through the problems, getting us through the tight spots, with no thought about the giver, just wanting the gift, just getting the get-out-of-jail-free card and forget the rest? Are we like the disciples? At times we get a little bit. We hear a little bit of what Jesus is trying to say to us. Have moments of amazement, even of thanksgiving. But over time, just get distracted by wanting more miracles rather than being taught by them. Let me ask you a very personal question. If you have experienced God's miracles in your life, how has it changed your understanding of life? How has it brought you closer to the truth of who god is has it changed your relationship with god or have you simply yeah good one and move on wanting waiting for the next has god as a loving father ever set you up to teach you something important about yourself or about him and did you learn the lesson if Jesus were to ask you the question do you understand yet how could you respond if we are going to find the fullness of life that Jesus has promised for us as his followers we must not only recognize and rejoice in God's gracious interventions in our lives but we must learn from them as well When God does stuff for us, when he intervenes and we think, wow, thank you God. What are we learning in that? Is it drawing us closer to him, a deeper commitment to his truth, a richer understanding of him and a deeper relationship with him? Let's not be like the disciples, distracted by what God does and missing out on what it means in relationship with him let's pray together father god we thank you that you in your graciousness intervene in our circumstances so often you do good stuff for us when we can't do it for ourselves but we pray when you do let your spirit speak deeply to our hearts to break us out of our patterns of self-absorption to break us out of our limited understandings, that we will deepen our recognition of your truth, that we will grow closer to you and truly see you for who you are. Thank you for the good you give us. May your truth grow in us through those things. We pray in your name. Amen.